The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program. WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, WLHS, the Lakota Local School District, or staff and management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as specific legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on WMKV, WLHS, and the Maple Knoll Radio Network. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon. I am Vena Jones-Cox, and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing, where our motto is successful real estate investing makes everybody's life better. Think about that. It's not just you and not just your family. It's also your communities. I can't stop reading articles about how short we are in this country on affordable housing and particularly affordable rental housing. And who is it that you think provides most of that in this country? If you think it's big owners, that is incorrect. Most big owners are mostly interested in uh, higher end housing. That's what builders have been building for the last 10 years. That's what folks want to own. And uh, yet those of us who are the, quote, small real estate investors are the ones who own the houses and apartments in areas where low-income people can afford to live and maintain those and manage them and do that under a lot of government pressure. That does not help, but congratulations to all of you who have been providing housing for folks and to all of you who are looking to make a profit to do it to doing it going forward our show today is question and answer week it's what our show usually is on the last wednesday of every month and what that means is there's no topic like i didn't come in here thinking i know what we're going to talk about because what i do instead is i send out an email to listeners ahead of time and say whatever questions you have you can email them into askvina at gmail.com before the show or you can call during the show at 877-772-9658 again the phone number here in the studio for the live show is 877-772-9658 and uh, got a bunch of questions here from folks who did email in before the show so we're going to go ahead and tackle those but if you have questions you know how to you know how to send them in ask at gmail.com or 877-772-9658 first question is from darren who as i recall is from the detroit area he says if you started from scratch in this market on a shoestring budget what would be some of the things that you would do to generate good deals well The answer to that, Darren, is it depends. What kind of deals am I trying to generate? Am I trying to find vacant, ugly properties that I can fix up for rent or fix up for resale or wholesale? 
or am I looking for properties that don't need quite so much work, but maybe have uh, motivated sellers who are motivated by the fact that they owe more than their property's worth and they'd really like to move, but every agent they've talked to has said, if you want me to sell this property, you're going to have to bring $20,000 to the closing because you just owe too much. Uh, if it was the former, if I was looking for vacant, ugly houses, I always give the same answer, which is I would go driving for dollars. It costs a tank of gas. It costs uh, an internet connection to uh, find out who owns the addresses that you have written down, because the one thing you know is that they're not living there because the houses are vacant. And it takes the cost of a postcard and a postcard stamp to reach out to those people and say, hey, noticed your house might be for sale or you might not want it anymore and I'd be interested in talking to you about buying it. Uh, that is the strategy that tends to get the quickest and highest response rate from uh, that sort of property. If I were looking for houses that maybe were overfinanced, that the, maybe they were, you know, some creative deal was possible, uh, I would probably, on a shoestring budget, go door knocking, which is sort of like driving for dollars, except you actually have to get out of your car and you have to go knock on people's doors and say, hey, I'm looking for a property in this neighborhood. Do you know anyone who might be selling? It's amazing what neighbors know. I think I've talked to my neighbors two times and I bet you they could tell you like 90% of my habits and, you know, they they always know that the the lady up the street uh, is uh, went to a nursing home and her kids would really like to sell the house, but they feel like they have to clean it out first. And then they also know the name and phone number of the kids. So uh, that's the that's the method I would use if I were looking for something that I could maybe do with some sort of owner financing, takeover payments type of deal if I was trying to spend as little money as humanly possible. It's question and answer week on Real Life Real Estate Investing. If you'd like to get your question answered, uh, send us an email, askvina at gmail.com, or just pick up the phone and call 877-772-9658. Uh, I have a question here from, there's no name on it, and the email address is a company name, I suspect. Uh, so I can't address you personally, whoever you are, but uh, the the question or statement of wondering is how to accurately figure out offer amount. Uh, well, again, I got to say offer on what, for what purpose? One of the interesting things about investing in real estate is that the exact same property is worth different amounts to different real estate investors, depending on what it is they plan to do with that property. If you were looking to, uh, retail it, in other words, buy it, fix it, and sell it, you would need to pay a price that would, after all of your repair and finance and holding and closing costs, uh, half, it would still need to generate a profit of somewhere around 20% of the after-repaired value of the property. If you were looking to wholesale that property to the guy who was going to do what I just said, you'd need to get it at less than what he would be willing to pay, right? So that house would be worth less to you, quote unquote, than it would be to the retailer and then to the landlord whose profit is not based on a quick resale. It's probably worth more money, maybe, 
because to the landlord, the question is, yeah, how much equity am I getting by buying it at this price? But also, how does the cash flow stack up against the expenses? I can tell you that one of the things that, uh, one of the skills, let me say, that every real estate investor has got to get pretty quickly is the skill of figuring out what a property is worth after it is fixed up. We call it after repaired value, right? We call it finding the ARV of the property because uh, most formulas, whether it's to buy a property for rent, for retail, for resale, for lease option, whatever, uh, start with what is the after repaired value. And then it's a formula from there that, again, is going to depend on the exit strategy. But generally, you multiply the after repaired value by some percentage, like, you know, 0 0.7, 0 0.65, 0 0.6. It depends on your strategy. And then you subtract the repair costs. So the second, the second skill is uh, kind of learning to see what a property needs, what, what can be replaced, what can be repaired, what can be left alone. And uh, then putting numbers to those repair costs. Uh, and with those two numbers, there's always a formula that any given strategy would call for. And with those two numbers, you can generally come up with the answer to the question, how do I accurately figure out the offer amount? But the the missing piece for, it seems to me, a lot of the folks who are out there attempting to do deals is that ability to come up with the after repair value and the repair costs. I see all kinds of crazy things when folks are sending me uh, um evaluations of properties. I see people who take every property in the neighborhood that sold and average what they sold for without regard to what kind of condition were they in when they sold, which means you got a junker that sold for 20000 and then all the other properties that were fixed up sold for a hundred. Well, that, that $20,000 number is going to make your average less than a hundred. And that's not the correct after repaired value. The correct after repaired value is somewhere around a hundred because we don't care what junker property sold for when we're trying to find the after repaired value. I see people who just go to one of the um, free online uh, sites that use that use automated valuation models to come up with a value, and they just look at whatever that number is and say, well, there's the value. Well, of course, those automated valuation sites are missing a key component of the value, which is what's actually going on on the inside of the house. You don't, you don't actually know what a property is worth by basically averaging other property values in the area. I see people try and do com uh, residential real estate the way one would do commercial real estate, which is figure out how many dollars per square foot the other houses in the area sold for, and then multiply that by the square feet of your property, and somehow that magically gives you the value. Also incorrect. Okay, and some kinds of commercial real estate that doesn't really work in residential real estate. So there's a there's a there's a process for finding after repaired value that if we had an hour and a half, I could walk you completely through. Oh, and it would be nice if we had an internet connection too, because it involves going online and finding property sales. But uh, that information is pretty widely available out on the internet. So rather than tie Mike down and make the show go an hour and a half while he struggles to get loose, 
Uh, I'm going to refer you to some of those um, some of those websites. In fact, folks who are Inner Circle members because they pledged to WMKV at some point uh, have access to a fairly detailed little mini course on that through the website. Uh, the repair cost thing that's a little bit that's a little bit regional. Uh, it costs a lot more to replace a roof in Florida than it does in Ohio, for instance. So that's something that you learn over time by talking to other investors, talking to rehabbers, finding out what they're paying for things like windows and furnaces and kitchen cabinets and things like that. But man, you cannot do this business without understanding those two things. I talked to a lady maybe two months ago at a at a RIA group who said, I just want somebody to take me out and show me deals that I can buy. And I said, well, do you have any idea how to figure out like what they're worth or what, what they're going to cost to fix? And she said, well, no, no. And I don't want to know that. And I said, well, anybody will take you out to find deals and will sell you deals all day long if you don't know what you're doing. And hopefully you can trust them because if you can't trust them, you're, you have no idea if you're making good deals or not. So thank you for your question, whoever you are. Uh, this is Real Life Real Estate Investing. It's question and answer week. You can ask your questions at 772, excuse me, getting about the same number every time, 877-772-9658 or at askvina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. It's Q&A day on Real Life Real Estate Investing, which means I'm just sitting here answering questions. 877-772-9658 is the number to call live here in the studio, or you can send your questions in to askvina at gmail.com. That's A-S-K-V like in Victor, E-N-A at gmail.com. The Real Estate Investors Association of Greater Cincinnati has a couple of really cool events coming up over the next couple of weeks, uh, one of which is the two-day tax-free retirement plan real estate investing class on June the 22nd and 23rd. There's an alternative date in Columbus on June the 8th and 9th. Uh, if if investing in IRAs and 401ks, like using your IRAs or 401ks to make investments, it kind of feels like it's over your head. Like, oh no, that's something that only advanced, sophisticated investors use. You just think that because you haven't sat down and studied it for a couple of days, and that's going to uh, change if you come to that event. Uh, it's taught by John Bowens, who was our guest last week here on Real Life Real Estate, and John Heyer, who is a real estate investor and tax attorney as well. And uh, it's uh, it's really, you know, it's created for people who like aren't already doing it and Maybe you're a little bit confused by it. Uh, so whether you, whether you are looking to make investments in your IRA or 401k, or whether you are looking to meet people who want to make investments in, let's say, your deals through their IRA or 401k, uh, you might want to check it out. CincinnatiRia.com. Just check out the calendar. The date, again, is... Uh, June the 22nd and 23rd. Yeah, I heard that too, and I couldn't figure out what it was. And I don't know if you guys can hear that. There's this there's this sound in here 
that sounded exactly like a spring boinging, and I couldn't figure out what it was. And and I looked up, and there's a spring on the microphone, and it's like moving all by itself. <laughs> it's really, it's really creepy. Uh, anyway, uh, CincinnatiRia.com, June the twenty second, twenty third, or there's an alternative date in Columbus on uh, June the eighth and ninth. Uh, back to our questions here on Real Life Real Estate Investing. This is from Rick. He says, I'm an out-of-state investor in Cincinnati rental property. How do I refinance the property? Most institutions won't lend to LLCs or won't lend to out-of-state owners. That is a uh, a great question, Rick. And just for the edification of everybody else, the reason that you're having trouble finding a bank that will refinance a property that is owned by an LLC is because the secondary buyers of mortgages, the two biggest, of course, being Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, uh, will not buy mortgages where an LLC is the borrower of that mortgage. So what some folks would recommend is that you take the property out of the LLC, get the loan, and then put it back in the LLC. But your asset protection attorney will probably have a heart attack if you ask him to do that, because the whole purpose of an LLC is to separate you from and your stuff from the potential liability of your rental property. And taking it out to refinance, signing on that note personally, and putting it back in uh, is likely to come up as an issue if anybody ever has a complaint, i.e. lawsuit against you. As in, Rick doesn't really treat this like it's a separate entity because look what he did. So uh, between that and the fact that the, the transfer back into your LLC can actually trip the due on sale clause in the mortgage you just got, that's not necessarily the best advice to follow. Uh, I don't know about banks that won't lend to out-of-state owners. I, that, that that one I have not uh, heard or run across before. But your solution to the LLC issue is to uh, refinance with a portfolio lender. Portfolio lenders are lenders who do not sell their mortgages on the secondary market or at least don't don't do so to Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac. Uh, I recently uh, refinanced a property uh, just because the it had a balloon, the note had a balloon in it, and it was the balloon was up and it was time to do that. And I did it with a portfolio lender who apparently did sell the loan, but, but it's because they're a savings and loan, they sell to a different entity than Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac. And I guess that entity doesn't have a problem with the fact that the uh, loan went to an LLC. So how do you find portfolio lenders? Well, there's there's a lot of them now that are uh, around just to service real estate investors. Uh, they are they are hard money lenders who also have a business in dealing in private loans on rental properties that are longer term. Uh, you're going to find their rates are typically higher than the, the next thing that I'm going to recommend, which is find yourself some small local banks with the words savings and loan in their names instead of the word bank in their names. Uh, we're talking about 
banks that have maybe one to six branches and call them up and say, do you do portfolio loans on investment properties? Will you finance to an LLC? And what do your rates look like? I would love to give you a list of those because I recently called about eight of them to find out uh, the answers to those questions and also the very important question of, do you have fixed rate loans on those properties with no balloons? Uh, but unfortunately, public radio, I can't make recommendations in that regard, but I can tell you that if you do that, you will find eight to nine banks in the greater Cincinnati area that have savings and loan in their name or are one, two, three, four branch banks. And if you call them all, you will find that most of them do not mind loaning to LLCs. I would expect that the out-of-state owner thing isn't a problem at all and uh, do in fact have fixed rate loans for real estate investors. It's question and answer week here on Real Life Real Estate. 877-772-9658 is the number to call with your question. Or alternatively, you can send it in via email to askvina at gmail.com. Uh, wow, here's another out-of-state question. Two in a row. Uh, this one is from... Annie, or possibly Annie, based on the way it's spelled. Uh, the question is, I have a property under contract in a different state than where I reside. What is the best way to go about wholesaling this kind of property when I have not been able to see it and I have buyers asking specific questions and requesting pictures? Okay, so let me back up a step here, Annie. How did you put it under contract if you don't have any pictures and you haven't been able to see it? And what, what I mean by that is not like how mechanically did you put it under contract? I understand how that happened. You sent a contract to the seller and he signed it. But my question is, how did you know how much money to put it under contract for? If you haven't been in it, how do you know what kind of conditions in, what the repair costs are? How could you do that math we were talking about earlier? that starts with the after repaired value and then in the case of a wholesale deal continue times 0.7 minus repair costs minus your profit i i i'm i'm a little worried for you here because i don't know if you know whether that property is under contract at the right price for that particular area and condition uh as to your problem with selling it yeah i i yeah, it's, buyers want to get in. Buyers want to know stuff about the property. Like if you called me and said, I have, a pro I have a property in Cincinnati and I'd like to sell it and I'd like it at this price, I would have some questions before I got into my car and went over to see the property. I would want to know exactly what it needed. I would like to know your estimate of repair costs. Is it rented or not? Um, is it dangerous for me to go in? Like, is the, there, there, there are holes in the floor? You know, I, 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 wanna, I don't want to go... I don't want to be, go be the first person who examines your property. So the short answer to your question is you're going to have a super hard time selling this deal if you can't get some more information and some interior pictures and hopefully do a full evaluation on the deal. Um, this is this is the this is the reason why I always tell wholesalers the grass is not greener. I, I, a lot of, a lot, a lot, a lot of folks I talk to say, "Well, I live in a really expensive market, so I want to wholesale in Kansas City because properties are cheaper there." Well, uh, yeah, but do you understand the market? Do you 
understand that the fact that properties are cheaper actually means that you make less money by fixing them up or by renting them, that it's actually more profitable to do real estate in a more expensive market. The only way to to consistently and reasonably accomplish what you're what you're apparently trying to do here, which is virtual wholesaling, long distance wholesaling, is to have somebody on the ground in the city where the property is who can go look at it for you, get good repair estimates. Uh, you know, it, it, it would be enough if they just got you a really good video and showed you everything on the inside of the property so that you could do your own repair estimates. And then you'd have a video to show to buyers if they wanted pictures, right? It's it's really, really hard. I mean, I know it's it's a it's a much sold concept of, oh, you can wholesale any place in the country since you don't have to fix up the properties. But I find that my buyers like to uh, know that they're not wasting their time by going to look at a property. And the, and the goal of wholesaling is not to put properties under contract. It's to get those contracts sold. You don't win by putting lots of properties under contract if you can't close them. Uh, so I would suggest if you don't have anybody on the ground, wherever this property is, you get someone and get them inside and get pictures and I also kind of have a question here about, do you even have access to the property? Because I'm definitely going to ask you as a buyer, how do I get in? There's no way I'm buying a property. I don't care what the price is without seeing the inside of it. So I think you have just run across one of the big challenges of virtual wholesaling. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. It's time for us to take a quick break, and then we'll come back and answer your questions at 877-772-9658 or at askvina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox, and today is Q&A day here on Real Life Real Estate. Uh, that means that I'm sitting here waiting for your questions or you can listen to 20 minutes of blessed silence here on the radio, which I understand doesn't go over real well. I don't think that's a, I don't, yeah, I think that's a not, not a good form of entertainment. Although, you know, if you had a busy day at work, maybe it'd be good. Right? No, don't meditate in your car. That's bad. 877-772-9658 is the number to call, or you can send an email to askvina at gmail.com. A uh, question here from Gina in Northern Kentucky. Gina says, how do you find a good virtual assistant? How do you screen them? What talents should you look for? Is it advisable to find one and train them your way? And what are the pitfalls? So a VA is, of course, a virtual assistant, uh, which really just describes anyone who works for you doing anything, typically administrative type thing, that is uh, not sitting in your office or your basement, if that's where your home office is. Uh, they're virtual, right? They work from their own workspace and they do stuff for you and you communicate with them by phone and Skype and email and all of those sorts of things. Uh, when you hear the term virtual assistant used in the real estate world, about 90% of the time folks are talking about uh, overseas virtual assistants, folks who might live in Bangladesh or uh, I have a VA in 
Nigeria, who I just realized I need to check in on because he may be finished with the job and I may need to pay him. I haven't actually looked at the site in like a week. Oops. Uh, these are folks who um, can do anything that can be done online. So they can take phone calls because they can, you know, hook up to international numbers online uh, that looks like a U.S. number. Uh, they can do research. They can write blog posts. They can create a website for you. They can create social media sites for you. You know, a lot of people say, I need a Facebook page for my business, but I don't know anything about Facebook. Yeah, well, you know, it's online. <laughs> so a virtual assistant uh, who probably is already somewhat of an expert on Facebook can do that for you. So the question about what talents to look for, it depends. I seem to be saying that a lot during this show. Uh, if you want somebody to do something high level like create and manage a website for you, you're going to look for somebody who is a coder or an expert in WordPress, possibly. If you're looking for somebody to uh, take a list of addresses that you got driving for dollars and go put them in your county website and find out who owns those properties and where those people live, that's a, a much lower sort of, you know, level of skill. Like, like lots of people could do that. Uh, very few people could do a good website for you. Um, it's easy through the various VA services that are out there. And when I say services, I don't mean like they train the VAs. We'll address that in a minute. I mean, they are uh, portals where people who are looking to hire VAs can do that. So this is, this is um, I don't know, some of the most famous ones are like Elance and Odesk and uh, 99 Designs is actually a, a online VA, uh, more more arty, designy type of, like if you wanted to have a logo made, you would go to 99 Designs. Uh, Fiverr, you know, those are all sites that people use. Uh, when you go there and make an account, you can actually look up what skills are available and who has them, uh, or you can make an offer you can just say, this is the job I have who wants it at this rate, and then people bid on your offer. And um, generally, there is some sort of like little mini resume up there. The, some of them have um, uh, star ratings, like this is how well they did on other jobs, this is how many hours they've worked, uh, this is their self-assessment on their English skills, this is, you know, this is how... Um, they passed a, a a test that we gave them on how good they were at Excel, right? There's there's just like a resume, right? There's there's things that you can look for that will tell you how talented the folks are, and of course you can also uh, talk to them. So the question of is it advisable to try and find one and train them your way? Uh, I think what that is in reference to is the fact that VAs have been around probably 15 years they've been pretty well known for about 10 years and of course whenever there's an opportunity to make things more done for you uh, some company or in this case many companies jump in and they um, they create a you don't have to go find and hire the VA we've already done that you just have to pay us and then you can use our trained VAs to do whatever this thing is um, of course, it's more expensive to do it that way because not only now do the VAs need to get paid, but also the uh, company that 
has hired and trained and supervises and fires the VAs now has to be paid as well. The two things that I would say about those kinds of services is that if you're going to use them particularly for any kind of customer service thing, you probably need to secret shop them. You probably need to uh, pose as your own customer and go in through and go through their process and see how that works out. And I say this because uh, there's a huge business right now in uh, providing done for you VA seller contact services. So in other words, uh, you send out a postcard that says, I'd like to buy your house. The postcard has either a direct line to these VA companies or they have you call an 800 number for a free 24-hour recorded message. And then the whether you leave your name and number or not, the uh, VAs are able to grab the phone number from the incoming calls. And I did a little experiment about six weeks ago in a live class I was doing. I said, let's let's call one of these 800 numbers and then let's see what happens. So I called the number. I waited for it to answer. I listened to five seconds of the message saying, hi, you've reached Mike. I'm a home buyer. And then I hung up. And then we just sort of sat and watched the phone to see how long it would take the VA to call back. And it it took, you know, 10 minutes, which is, is good. Like if I'm the one who's hired that VA, I want them getting on the phone with people uh, ASAP. However, what has happened since horrifies me a little bit. Uh, I have gotten one to two calls or texts every single day from that VA service since I first called. I've never picked up the phone. I've never responded to the texts. Um, I, you know, I'm not, I don't actually have a property I want to sell, but one to two a day. I mean, doesn't that seem a little excessive? Is that really like you want your sellers to be hassled? It, it seems like, you know, calling me once or twice a day for maybe the first three or four days, I, I could understand. And then maybe cutting it back to once a week and just touching base. But I, I very seriously doubt the person who sent me this postcard realizes that I have literally gotten something like 60 to 80 calls from their VA service since the beginning of April. Uh, they, you know, they hired it done for you. And then I don't think they understood what was being done for them. So um, I've also had experiences where I've called what I thought was a real estate investor buyer and gotten one of these VA services instead. And they're not um, the, the the ones that I have called. Let me say it that way. I'm sure there's great ones out there, but some of the ones I've called have done things like put me on hold for five minutes. Yeah. I'm calling to sell a house. Put me on hold for five minutes. How many sellers are going to tolerate that? Exactly. Um, I've had some of them that have um, the, the folks, the folks on the other end of the phone have not been, completely polite or they haven't been willing to answer questions that I asked because they were running off a script and I'm sure they were told not to go off the script. So anytime you're having somebody else do something for you, in my opinion, it's good if you train them to use your systems because you might not like the systems that they're actually using. So having said that, I mean, 
using virtual assistants is a really, really good way of getting some of the just day-to-day administrative stuff that's involved in buying and owning and managing real estate off your back so that you can do things that you're good at, do things you like, do things that uh, actually make you money and not do all the things that you don't like and aren't good at and that while they're, while they need to be done, it's not that they're time wasters. It's that they're sort of, you know, annoying little things. Um, I know a local investor who has a virtual assistant who is the first point of contact for all of his tenants because something like 80% of the calls that come in from tenants are along the lines of I'm giving notice. I, um, I need the address to send my rent check to, I, you know, there, there, there are things that can be disposed of in a minute or two by somebody who you know doesn't need to be the owner of the company. Uh, and the ones that are more along the lines of my sink is leaking or I saw a rat or something like that. The VA has the ability to uh, send those, send most of those straight to the maintenance people. And if it's something that is super like, my house is on fire. You know, it's something that something that does not fall into one of those other categories. Uh, they do have direct access back to this guy. So that's what I mean by, I mean, you know, if you had 20 rental properties, you might field calls like that a few times a week. And sure, it only takes five or 10 minutes each call. But if you could get the same thing accomplished and not spend five to 10 minutes three times a week, that would be better, Right. But again, it's I think it's a good idea for them to be working your systems and to be trained under your systems. So we're going to take another quick break. If you have any last minute questions, get them in right now to 877-772-9658 or to askvina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm Vina Jones-Cox. You are the show this week. In other words... If you have a question, because it's question and answer week, give me a call at 877-772-9658. Or alternatively, uh, just send an email to askvina at gmail.com. It occurred to me during the break that uh, I should probably mention that the very next meeting of the Real Estate Investors Association of Greater Cincinnati, which is happening not tomorrow, but a week from tomorrow, uh, the early meeting is about using VAs in real estate business. It's going to be led up by uh, Anita Johnson, who is a past president of RIA and who is one of the many, 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 many folks out there who is um, who is working full time and also doing real estate. So she's got a lot of experience hiring VAs to make in to take inbound calls, make outbound calls, do research like comps, things like that. And she's going to have a lot to say about the process of managing them and hiring them and firing them and some of the challenges and pitfalls to look for. So if you're in the Cincinnati area, you might want to check that out at CincinnatiRIA.com. That's Cincinnati, R-E-I-A.com. Uh, and come on by. Check it out. Uh, okay, got a question from Lois in Bowling Green, Kentucky. What is a good way to pre-qualify callers? Now, I'm going to, again, have to read some stuff into this question. 
Most of the time when real estate investors ask me about pre-qualifying callers, they're actually talking about pre-qualifying seller callers. So they've sent out a, uh, they've sent out uh, some letters or made some calls or whatever. And now they're getting a call from somebody who potentially has a house for sale that could be a deal. We call those suspects because until they have answered some questions, they are not necessarily prospects yet. And I think that if you are brave enough, Lois, the best way to quickly pre-qualify a seller is to introduce yourself, have some pleasantries, and then say, okay, so tell me the story and see what they say. Because we're not looking for properties, are we? We're looking for problems. We're looking for Somebody who is saying, you know, I know I could get more for my property, but I don't have the money to fix it up and I don't have the time to wait for it to sell because something's happening in the next couple of weeks that are going to, I don't know, take the property away from me if I'm not careful. And somebody who just kind of wants to sell their property and wants to know what you want to pay, um, it's it, they're, they're, they're barking up the wrong tree with real estate investors, people who have nice houses that don't need a lot of work and that are in decent areas and they're not in a hurry to sell them would be much better off hiring a good real estate agent or uh, trying to sell it for sale by owner. They they don't have a problem. The, the way we get properties at the price and terms at which we need them to make them make sense for our business is we help sellers with problems, solve those problems quickly and without them spending much money or any money and um, doing it in a hassle-free way. So if you will ask the question, what's the story? I mean, you kind of want to know the property address first because sometimes sellers disqualify themselves by telling me that they're trying to sell a property in Toledo and I live in Cincinnati. And I say, well, that's a little far for me. And they say, well, how far is Toledo from Cincinnati? And I say three and a half hours. And they say, oh, I had no idea. I thought that there was only like a thousand miles total between New York City and LA. And I looked at the map and it looked like Toledo was really close to you. Well, you know, I don't need to know what that story is. I need to refer them to an investor who's actually in the Toledo area, actually buying properties in the Toledo area. But once you've sort of gotten that out of the way, is this a deal you're even going to be interested in? The what's the story question is very telling. Because if they tell you a story, if they say, well, I bought this house a couple of years ago because my daughter has a single mom and I wanted her to have a place to stay. And then she stayed there for three months and then she hated the neighborhood and then she moved in with her new boyfriend and it's just kind of been sitting there for three years and I'm tired of making the monthly payments. That's, that's a story. If the story is I haven't actually been in the property for two years because I moved out of town and I had some tenants in it and they may still be there, but they haven't paid me rent in two years and I have no idea what's going on and I just need to get rid of the problem. That's a story. If the story is, uh, yeah, well, you sent me a postcard and I was kind of thinking about selling at some point, so I thought you could come over here and make me an offer. That's not a story that's going to actually lead to you making a deal, is it? So if they have a story, then you can, you know, go on with the rest of the questions that you will naturally have about the property, like how many bedrooms does it have and 
what do you want for it and what does it need and all those kinds of things. But if there's no story, you don't have a deal and you could probably just say to them. Uh, so let me explain to you a little bit about how my business works. I buy mostly distressed properties from folks who are mostly distressed about them and that are priced accordingly. And that doesn't sound like it's you. Am I wrong? And when they say, no, you're not wrong, then you can say, well, I don't want to waste your time because there's a waste of their time too. If you go over and, you know, spend a bunch of time on the phone with them and then go over and look at their property and then make them an offer that you already know they're not going to be happy with, then uh, you probably ought to just let them know that and move on. But thank you for your email, Lois. A question from Mike, who I'm going to say is in Columbus because he's talking about a property in Dublin, Ohio. He says, I want to convert a double ranch in Dublin into an assisted living facility. I'm leaning toward renting it to an operator instead of renting it myself. I see expensive course gurus on the net. Can you point me to a person, website, or any free info? How to find operators would be helpful. The other question, I'm, so okay, this is a completely different question. So I'll, I'll answer the first question first. Yeah, so assisted living is a really big thing right now uh and it's it's there's a lot of chatter about it in terms of uh, the growth potential uh these are properties that are single family homes or sometimes small apartments that are run as kind of group living arrangements for seniors and they're different than like a, a like a retirement home or a you know a rehab facility something like that because uh, they are they are literally just a living situation. There's there's many times some kind of service provided, like you know we we provide a grocery store run once a week or something like that. But there's almost never any like support for serious medical care or anything like that. And the thought process is there's going to be a lot of seniors who find themselves uh, living alone and uh, in situations where they might not be able to afford to continue living alone in some cases. And so we we sort of make like senior citizen dorms out of houses. And the rest of the the rest of the thinking is that these are very profitable because you're basically renting them by the room. And that means that on a particular single family home, uh, you might get two to three times the amount of monthly rent. But at the same time, uh, they're sort of like Airbnbs and that you're furnishing them, providing all of the utilities, including cable, etc. Um, many times there is someone who lives on site uh, with the seniors to make sure that everything's okay. And that person has to be paid and so on. So that's sort of the, the background on all of that. The first thing that I would do if you have not already, Mike, is I would call the city of Dublin and I would ask them, what, uh, A, are you going to be able to get zoning for multiple unrelated people to live in the same property and secondly is there any sort of permitting or licensing process and thirdly who else has applied for a permit or a license because that's how I would go about finding operators if it were me uh, that and googling um, you know I need an assisted living situation in Dublin and seeing what kinds of things come up uh, the in terms of free information this is this is one of those uh topics that the folks who do it a lot don't tend to be out there trying to create competition 
competition for themselves by giving out the information for free. Uh, it's sort of sort of like Airbnb is is the same way right now. Um, and I, I generally find that if you can find somebody who's really good at what they do and you can just pay them a bunch of money to tell you exactly how you do it, that's actually cheaper than trying to piece together the information from free sources. So unfortunately, I can't, uh, I, I'm not aware of any like really good, reliable, free, complete information that would include things like documents and information about how to apply for licenses and stuff like that. I wish I did. Uh, selling a property for uh, 135 profit is 90, mortgage is 44. I want to do a 1031 exchange into one, two, or three rehabs. Can I do this as long as it totals 135? Uh, yeah, but the problem is you're going to pay the taxes on the exchange when you sell those rehabs. You know that, right? You got to hold the rehabs as well because otherwise you pay taxes on the profit from that plus the profit from the properties that you sold earlier. But yes, you can do multiple. Uh, you can exchange uh, one property into multiple properties. So appreciate your email, Mike. We need to wrap this up. We will be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing. Happy investing.